Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie-Weissman, the Editor-in-Chief here at Modern Retail, and this week I'm really excited. We have Catherine Ham, the founder and CEO of Barabee, which makes, uh, among other things, a weighted blanket. Um, and I'm excited to sort of get into the world of sleep technology. Weighted blankets have been all the rage for a little bit now. Talk all about that. And I know that uh, Barabee has been doing some interesting retail partnerships of late, and so I, I want to learn about all that stuff. But Catherine, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Kale. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So first, for those who don't know, give just sort of the long and the short of it. What's the Barabee story? Well, the Barabee story actually started with my own sleep struggles. So I used to uh, work for the World Bank. Um, I'm, I'm an economist by training, never had any intention to become an entrepreneur. And I was always a light sleeper. But then I was basically moving around, traveling a lot. So I just moved from Washington to India. And from there, I, I started developing slowly like chronic insomnia, meaning like waking up multiple times at night, having a hard time falling asleep. And basically you wake up in the morning and feels like you haven't slept at all. And that is kind of going on over weeks and months. So I started looking for different things like natural sleep solutions, pillows, mattresses, white noise machines. I think I, I tried it all. And then kind of by chance, I stumbled across a medical article that talked about weighted blankets and how it helps children with sensory disorders. And on the bottom of the kind of last page, literally there was a sentence that potentially the same concept could also help adults sleep better. So it was like, interesting. I mean, what, what do I have to lose at this stage? So I ordered one. And at that point, um, weighted blankets were sold in specialty stores. So I got it from a German pharmacy. It took six weeks for the blanket arrive. And it had like these kind of ugly plastic beads in it. And while the blanket was ugly, um, I slept like never before. I tried it on a Saturday afternoon and I passed out and I slept for four hours and that never happened to me before. So at that point I was like, okay, I found my solution. And just for the next night, it was just so hot. I kicked it off the bed an hour later. And that's when I realized, okay, I can't use this thing for eight hours. It's just too hot. The beads started bunching up. It fell off the bed. And I just kind of continued Googling and searching. I'm like, at least, I mean, this thing has been around for 30 years. It's not that we invented weighted blankets, but then it just turned out no one had ever thought about any innovation in the space or developing the product further. And um, at that point, I was like, why don't I give it a shot to see if I can come up with something better? And that's how Barabee started. Wow. How did you go about sourcing it? What was your thoughts with, you know, finding materials? If you, you came from the World Bank, how did you go about going headfirst into the, the business side of things? I mean, for me at the first point, I, I still saw it as an experiment. I was like, why don't I give it a year? And if it doesn't work out, I can still go back to my old job. And so far, I haven't been back. But I, I really literally like took it by the by the book. And I mean, I started with the product because I think if I wouldn't have had a product where I was convinced that, you know, something that I would buy personally, 
Um, so I st it took me a while to experiment and I had some initial prototypes, you know, when you show your family and they're kind of like, they just want to be nice, but you, you see like, okay, I haven't nailed it. It's, it's not good. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's, I think one lesson learned, don't show like anything to friends and family because they will not <laughs> give you honest feedback. But then I came across, I mean, and I mean, like in India, there's like a rug knitting. So you see like on every street corner, you see women like knitting these handmade rugs. And that's when I had the idea that actually if you knit together fabrics um, and basically to a very dense blanket, you actually also get to 20, 25 pounds of weight. So that was the first start. And then I developed a small prototype together with my mom in our living room, where we literally cut down like different stripes of cotton, rolled it together and started knitting it in a mini blanket. So that was um, the first part. And then it became a big blanket. And once I slept under it, I realized so this is how it should be. And then from there, the start into the manufacturing. Uh, how do we actually get someone, find someone who can make this thing for us? And um, at that point, like I got turned down. I think I called more than 50 manufacturers in different countries. Wow. And everyone said, well, this is not fashion. This is not bedding. We've never seen something like this before. So, you know, you know, come back never or come back later. <laughs> And um, so I had to like, it really was a lengthy journey because for us, we had to come up also with a machine that makes the layered yarn. So basically we layer the yarn and then it gets knitted, handmade into a blanket. So we started in December, 2018. And by then we had like a small garage. We had five people knitting and two knitting machines. So that's how the whole thing started. Wow. And what year was that again? Uh, 2018. And so what was your launch plan in terms of marketing? It, it was going to be, was it, I'm assuming it was going to be all online, right? It was, it was sold through your website. So was it just your usual DTC? We'll make some Facebook ads. We'll see who takes to it and then go from there. Not even Facebook ads, because we didn't know at the beginning what Facebook ads like were. We had a website. Um, we had our initial products. And at that point, the category had already started taking off and people, I think there was that shift in wellness and sleep has just become like an integral part of the wellness equation. And we mm -hmm. gave products to people and we got media coverage and we literally got five months after we launched or four months after we launched, we had West Elm. Like I woke up one morning and had an email from West Elm in my inbox where I first thought it's spam where they said, we wanted to have your weighted blanket. We've been looking for a weighted blanket. We wanted a natural, sustainable weighted blanket. Yours looks beautiful. Can we come by in your showroom and take a look? And at that point, we were like two people. So we didn't have a showroom <laughs> exactly. So we're like, why don't we take our blankets and you know bring them back down to Dumbo and show them, show you our products. And um, yeah, I think five months after that initial meeting we had with West Elm, we already were in retail across West Elm. And then obviously over the last years, we built out that relationship with Pottery Barn and Pottery Barn Kids and now an exclusive partner for Williams Sonoma. But that was really a, you know, a turning point for us to be that early in retail, which is, I think, very unusual for the normal D2C playbook. Um, where you usually do D2C ads and Facebook ads and Instagram. And I think for us, it was really starting off very early with retail. And then later on, 
um, much later, we started with the digital side and really getting a grip on ads and running those on a professional way. So was West Elm, was that always on your radar? Were you like, we, that, that's where we need to be or sort of, or did, did you have a sort of strategy in place or was it just sort of, it just worked out? I mean, it really just worked out because for me, I mean, you study, I think when you, when you're a first time founder and you bootstrap, you study the playbook that others have done. And you like, see the one thing is like, everyone tells you, don't go into retail too early, try to kind of, um, kind of manage the consumer experience and try to really build that website and Instagram presence. Um, so for me, that was really not something I had in my mind. I was like focused on delivering the customer experience, the branding that we put into it and building that community. So when Western reached out, it was really like something we're like, oh, that's unexpected. But um, I think, yeah, it, it worked out. Do you have any overall thoughts or lessons from launching in retail so early? Did that change the trajectory of how you branded? Like, how does how is West Elm as a partner in terms of customer insights? I imagine, you know, the reason why DTC brands start so early online is so that they know exactly what their customers want. But then again, it's great to get into West Elm. So what, what, were, what was sort of your overall, you know, top line thoughts about it? I think one... Um customer insight early on was like the trends on home decor because like again mm-hmm. weighted blankets it was that gray medical niche products and you still see like these you know like not really appealing um blankets and so for us i think there was that shift in thinking that when once you put that on a really nice couch um it actually becomes part of a home decor and it's it becomes a showpiece and people start talking about it So for me then to just start, well, because at the beginning we had a limited color collection. We also had, we had two different types of grays, like a blue, um, but I didn't have really thought about like, are there seasonal colors that could change twice per year? And what are actually like home decor trends? And that's when we worked really closely early on with West Elm on adjusting kind of the trends. So we had like limited editions that were really always hitting the right spot where where I was like, sometimes I'm like, how does this color, who would buy that color? I mean, six months in advance and it became a bestseller. And so these Mm. insights that we got early on, obviously from a very large team of people who know kind of what consumers want for their their living room uh, was one of the really greatest insights that helped us to shape our own strategy and how we think about our product as a centerpiece of the couch. How did your, you know, being in such a major retailer impact your sort of view on on having a direct channel? Like, do you still put a big emphasis on the Barabee website or are you focused more now on the retail partnerships? Definitely. I think D2C is is still our main focus um, one thing is just also the education. If if we have the customer relationship and we can help people like pick the product, um, because now we have like we have different weights, we have different uh, colors, we have different textiles. So people kind of we want to guide them and give them like a full on experience. So when they receive the product. It's not only like building the content that goes into educating the consumer, but then like having them basically holding their hands along the line. So we don't leave them alone after they purchase, but then we also can continue communicating through an onboarding process. How do you use your blanket? Because that's also something that when I had my first weighted blanket, there was no education around. It's like, here's the thing. 
figure out. But if I would have known that, you know, it takes actually my body takes 10 days to really adjust sleeping well under a blanket. And for the first three days, I shouldn't even cover my full body. It would have been a much different, much better mm -hmm. experience. And so we can control like that experience and be in touch with the consumer. And that's obviously something we cannot do in the same way when we're in retail. I think we found some ways on kind of also trying to replicate some of the experience, um, but it's definitely not the same experience than when we have our own channel where we have our customer service team that kind of feeds us real-time feedback um, from our consumers. Well, that was my next question is how, what ways have you been able to replicate that in the retail world or, you know, and what, what works and what doesn't compared to when you control that entire portion of the funnel? Yeah. So, I mean, one thing is, I think, really working closely with the retailer on education of um, basically people who work on the, on the ground and doing that on a regular basis. Um, so it doesn't, um, for us kind of, you know, like, At the beginning, we thought like we were thinking about what is a good cadence for us to go in and check. Obviously, you want to make sure that your display is on brand, but then often you forget that education piece. And I mean, that's like consumers are coming in and they expect more to buy. If you, if you have a product that's more straightforward, maybe like bed sheets, you don't need that piece of education. But our consumers, sometimes they come in like, I went there, but they couldn't really help me. They couldn't. So they're looking for that education. So one is like helping um, the staff on the ground on getting that education, doing that in a regular cadence. But then we also developed a QR code um, that sits within the display where we have a similar experience that we replicate on the website. So we also kind of have that you, you click on the QR code and you get the same questions that lead you then to make the right purchase decision. So if you are at the display and you don't see anyone who can help you at that moment, there's still like a tech enabled environment that can help you and answer the immediate questions that you have. Do you, do you find that people are clicking on your QR code in, in your retail environments? They do. They do. I mean, the first, the first thing is still like you want to look for a human being. You want to look for someone, yeah. uh, who's, who's there. We just had an event. Um, we launched with Nordstrom a couple of weeks ago and, wow. um, we had an event where that we announced again to our community. And we had people who, you know, were thinking about buying a weighted blanket for a very long time. And they were like, we were looking into the colors. But when we knew that kind of your team would be there, we we came, but we didn't come because we wanted to see your team, but we wanted to get that education. We wanted to really, um, because we were struggling, which weight, which size, what's the difference of, and so having that feel and then have someone who really gives you um, kind of some of, that goes beyond education. It also shows some people have medical conditions and they want to get some of these answers. And so they were hoping to get that from our team. So we had a huge turnout um, and we were asking people, would you have come anyways to the retail? And they said, well, at some point we would have come out, but because we knew that there is someone there who could tell, could answer all our questions, that's why we chose to come in on that specific Saturday. Got it. Interesting. So given that you have you know, this new Nordstrom partnership, you're in, you know, all of these different West Elm pottery barn stores. What is the overall mix between e-com and retail sales? Is it mostly retail because you're in so many stores or, do you, or how, how does that work out? No, we still have our majority of our sales are still D2C. Really? Um, and we still, I mean, 
what we what we're trying out to see now we we are in um stores i mean usually in our in our williams sonoma stores they're very um similar to where we also are in our main markets like on the east and the west coast and mm -hmm. now uh, with Nordstrom, we are for the first time in markets where we as a brand don't have a strong presence. And already in like the early weeks, we see a, a lift uh, on our D2C side from like markets because people don't know the brand. In most cases, they didn't also know weighted blankets. So that definitely just in the early weeks, we can see how that benefits us, but across both channels. So it sounds like in a certain sense, the, being in a, it's as much a marketing channel for being in retail that it is for actually sales channel, especially on the education front. If you're using that as a way to build, you know, maybe a Midwestern city that you might not have a big uh, presence in. Yeah. I mean, for us also how we build the display, because our blankets are knitted. So from far, you could probably walk by and think like, you know, it's just like any regular throw yeah. throw blanket. So making sure that the display, there's a couch close by, that there are clear signs of that indicate weight. So we were also working closely like that when you see and you walk towards the display, that like all the visual clues are there to see that this is a different blanket. It's actually heavy to invite people to touch it and see like, oh, wow, that feels different from a regular throw and then make it very easy for them to move it uh, and try it out. And then we also developed a special um, carry case just for the mm. retail environment, because again, um, when you have to carry out a 20 pound blanket through New York City, um, <laughs> uh, you're probably not going to buy it. And so there were a couple of things that we tweaked that worked out really well, where people are getting a good end to end experience now buying the product also in store. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Please stay with us. So then walk me through, if you still are predominantly online D2C in terms of your channel, where have you been sort of focusing your marketing? Has it been like, and sort of how has the last year gone specifically as there's been such volatile changes in literally every part of the re the retail industry? Yeah, no, I mean, um, if you, in terms of like the changes of, of marketing spend, I know when iOS 14 uh, update came, everyone was like, we don't know what's going to happen. Are we trying out like new channels? Um, so for us, um, we obviously also were piloting a lot, um, but I guess when you're bootstrapped, I mean, we came from an environment, if something is not working, we have to turn off spend and we have to reiterate on the creative. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of like D2C or maybe earlier stage D2Cs, they have an agency where they outsource like their digital content. Um, but we have like an in-house team. And we also had an agency that supported like that in-house team very closely. So we just went into a higher frequency on creating um, content um, from user-generated content, but basically turning around instead of having like a creative every three day, uh, we had seven, eight that we tested. And so getting on early feedback, this is working, this is not working. And we really spent like the last couple of months on testing that. Because obviously for us, um, the main season of the year is starting end of the quarter. So we used the last couple of months on getting ready and tweaking that. But for us, I think one part of the equation is really um, having that uh, on, on fixing your creative and really making sure that when you have, uh, when you go into out of the learning mode on Facebook, on Instagram, which are still our dominant channels, that you have mm -hmm. a that you have a grip at least on the things that you can control. 
because obviously there are more things that are out of our control now. So at least I want to have the things uh, under control where I can. Absolutely. Have you found it, with iOS 14 and 15, are you, is it less, uh, are, are you finding it more volatile? Are you seeing less engagement? What, what are you seeing? So in terms of engagement, um, we saw a dip at the beginning on, on Q3, but I think that's also when we didn't know exactly, like no one knew what was happening. And then we kind of turned spend off and really kind of build it from the ground back up where we tried mm -hmm. like different creators. And now we actually see we're pretty steady and we're ramping up. And I mean, we see, I, I know there are always like new changes and new things are coming out. Yeah. So knock on wood. But for now, I think we found a good way to work around it and um, working within like the limits that are now given. Absolutely. And so on a sales velocity wise, how has the last year gone um, uh, for you? And sort of where are you seeing the most interest or growth or anything along those lines? I mean, we doubled our revenue, so we are on on track to double our revenue this year. And wow. yeah, yeah, the year before was already kind of a crazy, crazy growth. Yeah. Um, we went from, I think we were five people at that point, and now we are obviously more, but we went from five to 20 people during COVID time. And we wow. saw like a 5x growth um, and kind of going through onboarding another manufacturer, building the team and building the infrastructure. So that has been uh, has been quite a ride uh, that year. Absolutely. And so are you experiencing the same supply chain issues that many people that I speak to are? Or is that hampering holiday, you know, your holiday plans? What, what are you seeing along those fronts? So, I mean, definitely we also... Um, not immune to um, the, the shipping and the, the supply chain um, issues that are going on. I think what helped us is that we have like a geographic different locations. So we have many, we shifted our large scale manufacturing to India. So whenever, and we also still have our small scale manufacturing in China. So whenever there are some issues going on, we are able to actually pivot back and forth um, to navigate some of it. And we actually also made sure that we bring in our inventory this year very early on. Mm -hmm. um, so we made sure we were like three, four months ahead with inventory planning. So usually we would kind of start, you know, in September, filling up the inventory for the last quarter. And this year we were already June, July, we were ready um, to have that. So we were able to navigate and kind of avoid some of these increased costs that are going on. Um, let's see what the next year will be bringing. I think everyone is hoping uh, for costs to go down. Um, but yeah, so for for this year, we we luckily were able to hedge with a good timing uh, strategy in advance and seeing also, I mean, shipping prices go up and down. And I think that's something probably also for next year to calibrate um, when is a good time to ship. And I guess like investing more in logistics. Um, so that's yeah. something for next year to take advantage of, um, you know, focusing on, because I don't think it's actually going down. It's probably another year where we have to plan for it. So we also, again, need to navigate on this. I think it's going to be a challenging year for businesses on all sides next year. So it's going to be I mean, interesting. Yeah. Are With that, are you, what are your thoughts on logistics? Do you have all of your products shipped out via boat? Have you, like, I, I imagine that's both gotten more expensive and also 
clogged in ports. How, what are you thinking for next year? Would you ever bite the bullet and get air freight or something like that? I, I keep hearing different stories about what different founders are doing, and it sounds insane to me. I mean, for us, air freight would not be an option because it's yeah. just with a 20-pound, 25-pound product, yeah. um, that's not going to work. So for us, it will always be a boat, uh, shipping uh, via boat. Um, so I, I think for us, it's like, I mean, we are monitoring closely like how like the prices are fluctuating and scheduling in advance. But again, I think what we're seeing right now is even if you're sometimes willing to pay these insane uh, prices, you still don't have a guarantee that you're actually getting your goods shipped out. Um, so for us, it's, I think, having that flexibility. So we are onboarding actually a third geography right now. Um, mm -hmm. So we have another, um, yeah, we just onboarded a second hub, third hub actually in Sri Lanka. So that's another wow. strategy that we are figuring out. So we want to have that flexibility that, you know, if like there's a really surge in one area, that we always have the uh, mobility to to move around, at least for next year. Did you find yourself getting outreach and orders from retailers early jockeying to make sure they had enough products in time for Q4? Um, did that, did that, how, what were sort of your interactions there along, along those fronts? Yeah. I mean, we definitely saw earlier orders this year. I mean, everyone wanted to make sure. Um, and yeah, we got, we, we've gotten a question. So, so you guys have the things in inventory and we're like, <laughs> yeah, we have it. Um, because I think that's like really the, 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 the main issue that's going on. Are you, are, will you get the products that you order? Because obviously a lot of things are out of the control. And mm -hmm. with, for us, it was an advantage that we could say, well, yeah, we, we have our inventory already in our warehouses in the U.S. So no matter what comes, there is a, a guarantee of a, of quantity that we can provide, even if there are some things that are happening later down the line. So yeah. We got these early these questions early on, and like a big relief when they heard that uh, we have things already in the warehouse. Absolutely, I bet you the many retailers were happy about that. I've talked with some who they had things, you know, retail orders that were in container ships in California, but still not yet loaded, and so it sounded like just a complete mess. Yeah, I think yeah, for us it's like we have a lot of what I mentioned before, like limited editions, color changes. I think that's something where it's like. Um, how, how are we calibrating this that we are still offering like, you know, multiple options and people want to keep it fresh, but at the same time, um, you cannot coordinate a drop within, you know, like the couple of weeks that we had before, because if a container ship is waiting for four weeks in LA port, um, that is, you know, not the ideal scenario. So, I mean, kind of having a cadence around and figuring out the colors and the combinations that we're offering on a more stable level is also something we're working closely with the retailers for next year. Absolutely. And so let's talk about next year. We're almost coming out of time, but I want to hear, you know, what is your big plan? Is it, you know, when you're thinking about, you know, product, you know, the kind of types of products you'll be launching and also the types of retail partnerships you'll have, is that, is it expansion on all fronts? What are you thinking about? I mean, we have some exciting uh, partnerships until the end of the year. Um, launching and we also have a couple of new product new product rollouts that we've been working mm. on last year which I think will be quite exciting and then obviously like our D2C channel where we will have like these partnerships and ex exclusives um, but there will also be a couple of exclusives with our retailers that we want to try out um, so there will be an expansion in the retail channels um, especially on like the physical retail and like more exploration 
and have giving consumers a bit more of an experience. Mm-hmm. Is your focus on on expanding whenever possible on in the retail or like what is your ideal breakout uh, between you know retail e-com uh, revenue share? I mean, for us, I think right now the focus is it. It I wouldn't want to have the products in a place where the consumer would go there and would leave uh, without education. So like uh, expansion would always be coupled to the goal of getting the best possible experience and where the brand is like, when you come and you see, you see this is better being retail and it really reflects also what we're doing on D2C. And I think that also is like a step-by-step process where you, we don't go all crazy and then you will mm-hmm. see um, like a product that maybe it doesn't provide the experience anymore that we want to give you. And when you say product, you know, expansion, is that beyond the weighted blanket? Will we be seeing a very non-weighted blanket? Exactly. Exactly. What is it? Can you give a hint for what that is? It has to do with working from home. But uh, okay. I have to uh, keep you on suspense on this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Catherine, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.